0: Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, worship team. Good morning, church. Man, it is good to be with you. My name is Nick Hill. I have the privilege of serving as one of the pastors here at Solid Rock and excited to be with you. We're going to be in John chapter 17, so if you want, go and start getting there. Uh, phone, Bible, if you don't have one, there are Bibles underneath all the seats. Uh, please feel free to use that. It's also a free gift. So we want you to want to make sure that you have a copy of God's Word today. And so as we get ready to dive back into John chapter 17, just to give us kind of a context of what we've been looking at, um, last week uh, we saw God's glory uh, being revealed and uh, we could spend so much time speaking about God's glory, right? Like if the preaching team just had endless time, we would not be able to take God's glory and fully express it. And then the issue is not just even time. The issue is we don't have the ability, the words, the language, the illustrations to be able to encompass what God's glory really is. And that's a really good thing, right? Because if there's something that exists in the world that Nick Hill can fully encapsulate it for you, it's not that great. (laughs) All right? It's okay. You can laugh. I mean, I can get close to some things when it's like regarding like an experience or food or like somewhere you should go and visit. But if we're talking about like God's glory, I mean, all I can do is just hope and pray God use whatever words we use to help us understand. And so we are looking at this this prayer that Jesus is speaking to the Father that we get to be included to be able to observe, to be able to hear And it's incredible. There's just so much going on in it. And if you remember, like this is just right after the Lord's Supper. Um, Judas has already slipped out, like he's getting ready to betray Jesus. This is in chapter 18, and we're looking for that. The disciples are figuring out what it means to follow after Jesus. They believe he is who he says he is. They've listened to his words, his teaching. They've watched his miracles. They're all in. They're bought in. They believe. They know he is the Son of God. But when we also see that Jesus has already explained to them, he's about to leave this world. And the hatred of the world is crashing down upon Jesus as he gets ready to lay down his life for you, for me, and so that we may know what it means to be saved and redeemed from this broken world. And so if you're thinking about this prayer, like that's the context that's going on, and he's specifically praying to the Father about the disciples, believers, you and I, those who've placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so this morning, as we get ready to read, we'll start in uh, verse 6. I want to encourage you to please listen and, and really have a heart that is being opened up to hear God's word, to be able to not just hear it, but to be able to have this relational truth, this relational God who we're speaking about, be able to come and transform your heart. Don't think and don't listen so that maybe you can hear for your spouse, or you're, maybe you're thinking, I'm going to listen and hear for your kid today. Um, or maybe you're thinking about Gloria. I don't know who Gloria is, but it's just a name that popped in my head. If your name is Gloria, my name is Nick. Most of my relationships start with me forgiving, asking for forgiveness, so this is okay. Um, don't be thinking about somebody else, okay? Because this prayer for the disciples is a prayer for you and for I. When we come and when we gather, yes, there is a community, there is the body of Christ, we are connected. It is important for us to gather together, it is important for us to speak the truth and love to one another, to confess our sins to one another. But let us not just hear these words that may seem familiar, concepts or truths that we, we've known, and let them to just go in one ear and out the other, and not a, tangibly change our hearts and our minds this this chapter is like this summary capstone of all jesus earthly ministry but he's also pointing us to so much more that's going to happen and for you and for i that's so true as believers like yeah we're saved but there's still so much more that's going to happen and so i pray and hope today that You are loved and accepted and glad to be here. Jason even mentioned that last week. But if that's all you know today, is that you are loved and accepted and felt comforted or welcomed here at Salt Rock, then we've missed a lot. Because when we are in the presence of the Father, when we are in the presence of God's Word, when we are um, filled with the Holy Spirit, and we are fully known, fully trusting in Christ, our hearts are changed forever. Not just the moment of salvation, but for the rest of our lives. So that's what's at stake this morning. That's what we're hoping for. That's what we're driving at. And as we continue to read God's word this morning, I hope that that will be on your hearts and your mind. So let's begin. (coughs) Excuse me. In John chapter 17, starting in verse 6. He says, This is Jesus speaking to the Father in his prayer. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now you know, or now they know, that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know them in truth that I came from you and that I have believed that you, and they have believed that you sent me, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, for those whom you have given me, excuse me, I'm praying for those of the ones who you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. So as we read these first four verses, we see Jesus talking to the Father about, the, specifically in this context, the disciples. But because of us being believers, we can add ourselves into this conversation. And he's talking about how the people that were given to him were first in God, that they belonged to God, like God had them. There's this understanding that they were being kept by God. And then they were given to Jesus, and one Jesus is living out his earthly ministry— He is representing God. His words are the Father's. His actions are the Father. His purpose, His will are the Father's. His glory was to glorify the Father. We see throughout John that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God and was with God. And so we see this in separate, this, let me get my words right. We see this complete closeness. There's no separation in who the Father is, who Jesus is. There's an intimate relationship and connection And they understand this purpose, this purpose that is being unfolded throughout the Gospel of John and will continue to be unfolded for us. And so we see this prayer that the people whom you gave me out of the world. So there is a difference. There are those who are in the world and those who are not of the world. In this context, it's the disciples. In our context, this day and age, that's you and I, those who place our faith and trust in Jesus. Now, you can read this and think, okay, it sounds like Jesus doesn't care about the world, but you have to take the whole context of the gospel in hand, right? Because John 3.16 tells us that Jesus came because he loved the whole world. But in this moment right now, he's praying for those whom the Father gave him. And so we see them being kept. We see them being known. We see them being cared for in this prayer. We see this deep understanding that is happening between the Father and the Son he says, I'm praying for them, in verse 9. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you've given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And so throughout this whole entire time, we've seen Jesus wanting to bring glory, right? Not only to himself, but to the Father. But right here we're seeing is they're wanting to be glorified in us now. And so they're preparing us for what is about to come, and so... If you're thinking about the context of this hatred of the world and the fact that Jesus is about to lay down his life, he's about to fulfill his his ministry here on earth, he knows what this hatred is. He knows what the brokenness of the world is. He has walked through it. He has been perfect in it. He has been obedient in it. He has submitted himself to the will of the Father so that this broken world would not have authority any longer think about this again, so that the brokenness and the authority of the world would not have authority any longer. But he recognizes that it's still a broken world, and that us living in it, the disciples ministering in it, was going to be a hard thing to do, especially apart from God. But we're seeing as we continue to move forward, we're going to see that there is a purpose in this. There is a significance in being in this broken world and experiencing the suffering that it has, that it's not for nothing. So when we think about being in this broken world and we think about glorifying the Father, I don't know about you, but sometimes I don't feel worthy of that. I know my shortcomings. I know where I have my sin. I know where I have my insecurities. I know where I still struggle in my life. And so thinking about, man, I'm, I'm, I'm being called to glorify the Lord. It can feel impossible or it can feel like a burden. It can feel like it's just overwhelming. But the good thing is, is that's not where we're left. We're not just left with this task that is impossible to do on our own. We see this prayer to be kept, this prayer to be given back to the Father, to be cared for by the Father, even though we are in this broken and fallen world. And so let's continue on. Let's look in verse 11. (coughs) Excuse me. Verse 11 says, And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. That is a really high and lofty prayer. Amen? It's not just the name of Jesus or the name of God has um, the whole significance. It's that the name of Jesus, the name of God is a representation of who he is. It's all of his personhood, his character. It is who he is that he is praying and asking us for, be, for us to be kept in. You don't want to be kept in my name. You want to be kept in the Father's name. There's no significance in my name. There's no ability in who I am. But there is in the one that, the, that Jesus is praying to, which you have given me that they may be one even as we are one. Church, there is not a higher unity or oneness that can be achieved that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit have for themselves. They lack nothing. There is nothing in between them. We live in a broken world. We have relationships. You ever just feel when there was something in between you and somebody you care about? Right? Even if it's small, you can feel it. It's significant. And so he's praying that we maybe have this oneness even as they are one. Verse 12, while I was with them, I kept them in your name. Which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except for the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Church, as we read this and we think about what the disciples have seen and experienced throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, and we see that Jesus has been keeping them safe. That Jesus has been guarding and watching after them. And it's a beautiful picture of even him being the shepherd and us being the sheep. Like, we need it, right? We need this. And so we see him praying this over us and that he's been guarding us. And not one of us has been lost other than Judas, the son of destruction, that Scripture might be filled. But he says, "When I'm coming to you and I speak these things, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. It's interesting about this section of the the prayer is that the desire for us to have oneness, that is a oneness and a unity that you and I have never experienced in our brokenness. It is a oneness and a unity that you and I have never experienced in our brokenness that is only realized in the Trinity and the Godhead. And then we see this other phrase of that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. This my joy, that is my joy at the ultimate expression of it. We hear in Scripture that, give me joy that's unspeakable. It's, it's not something we can tangibly express or share or, or be able to communicate, but it's something that we are offered this, in this prayer. It's something that God gives to us that we can have this joy that is unspeakable. So there's these two high and lofty ideas of being one as even they are one, but also having this joy fulfilled something that you and I cannot do on our own. And I'm so grateful that the Lord is praying for this, for us. 14 says, And I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one, that they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Church, we can, it's like an understatement, right, to look out in our world right now and go, it's broken, right? It's actually pretty easy for us to kind of just put our finger on that one and harp on it So, yeah, it's broken. We've seen consequences in 2021 and 2020, and just so much suffering by the evil one, by those who are being led or tossed to and fro in that. But we have to understand that the destruction The destruction of this world, the brokenness of this world, existed prior to 2020. Our greatest needs have not been elevated because of 2020 and 2021 or 2022 and what may happen. Our greatest need has been existing since Genesis chapter 3 and our brokenness and our deadness and our separation from the love of who Jesus is. If we are now just becoming aware of that need because the world looks crazy right now, then we've been missing what the true need is. We don't need to get caught up in all of the symptoms that come from brokenness. The root of it is we are dead in our trespasses apart from Christ. There is nothing good in us, nothing alive in us. Why wouldn't we be destructive? Why wouldn't we be riotous? Why wouldn't we be divisive with our words? This didn't just happen because of COVID or 2020 or lockdowns or government. We need to know. There's probably been a time in our conversations with one another where we're like, man, you remember a time when like life was really good, right? Like we kind of like daydream about it. You're like, man, you remember when our restaurant was open and or, you know, somebody didn't come up and just say something snide at the gas pump. But you know what, though? there were still people broken and lost. There were still people that you knew that maybe life looked okay on the outside, like they were smiling, they kept their lawn mowed, and they put their trash cans up, but were destined for hell because they didn't know the love of Jesus Christ. The brokenness and the suffering of this world is real. We don't even have to go to the extremes of, Of what we would call hideous or the worst sins for that to even impact the economy of who God is. Because listen, even the smallest social sin that we would talk about, white lie, is enough to separate us from the love of Christ forever. Even a little leaven leavens the whole lump. That means even the smallest amount is enough to make you not able to be in a relationship with a true holy God. And so he's praying for the disciples. He's praying for you and I because the suffering in this world is real. And let's be honest, we tend to not want to suffer. Anybody like suffering? Okay, nobody's raising their hands. I'm in the same boat. And not only that, like I'm okay with some suffering. I'm okay when I know when it's going to start and I know when it's going to end. Like school. (laughs) Right? You know when the semester starts, you know when the semester ends. Not only that, the big picture, you know, I've got four years, right? And, well, that's college. Hopefully, you know, you got a good education in that time and it wasn't wasted. But there's suffering in that, right? Like, you get to know your human limits very quickly in higher education. But I'm okay with that kind of suffering because I know what it's going to look, and I can map out how I'm going to deal with it. I can go, all right, I need at least this much time on Saturday to decompress, I need at least this much time with my wife or my kids so we can feel connected and as a family so the fires don't get out of control. I need about this much fast food in my life throughout the week to be able to offset the emotions that I'm feeling. Right? Like we start projecting in our minds, okay, here's how I'm going to deal with suffering. But the problem with all of that is it's void of Jesus. It's actually antithetical to what this prayer is. This is us just trying to manage our suffering to make it not so bad. And you start hearing yourself say things like it could have been worse. It could have been worse. It's not that bad. Maybe there's next year. Or you know, God's got you. Like I don't know what you what you start saying to yourself to help manage the suffering that happens in this life. We start to mute our feelings. We start to mute what we need. We start to mute all the different needs that we have in our life, and that includes not only in our relationships with each other, but it then becomes an issue also with our relationship with the Father. Because the brokenness of this world is being brought up because it is significant. The brokenness of this world has transformed and informed your life. Pre-Christ and even now, it is impacting us. And here's the reason I know that, it's because experientially, it's not just an intellectual understanding we know the world's broken. Because if we took time to say, unpack your life with me, you would have tangible expressions of suffering. Suffering that you've caused, suffering that other people have caused. And not only that, it informs and filters what you see and how you react to people and and situations in your life, right? Right? Because if you have been told that you are not valuable, that you are a problem, that you are a mistake, and then anything that goes wrong in your life, the first thing you're going to do with that filtered lens and that experience is go, There's something wrong with me. So and so is mad. You don't know why they're mad, but you're probably going, I did something, I forgot something. So you start trying to filter in the gaps with your experiences, what you know to be true, and that's what the broken world does to us. We start trying to filter and and run everything through, and it doesn't make sense, especially if you don't have transformational knowledge of who God is. Because then you start wondering, is God a liar? Is he unable? You know one of the biggest things that Pharaoh did to the people of Egypt is he made life even harder for them? when God entered the scene, because he wanted to make God look like he couldn't do it. He wanted God to look like he was incapable, or that God was full of it, who said, yeah, I'll help you out, but then just left. So we cannot undersell the significance and the brokenness of this world. The very thing that God is asking us to be a part of, but yet to not be of it. That means we are in desperate need constantly of the presence of God. And there's some other things, but we haven't read those yet, so hold on. They're so important because, guys, seriously, in our brokenness, in our suffering, this world, people tend to just mute it down or they tend to explode it out or they tend to isolate themselves from important relationships to be able to manage and deal with what's going on. Kay and I have been married for 11 years. We're going on 12 next. And I can't tell you how much I wanted our testimony and our life and story to be like we did it right. We did it right the whole way through. No, no nagging, no reactions to nagging, no, no sin, no suffering, no hurt. All of those things. Like We were just going to have it all figured out. Like That's not hers. This is me being honest with you. But guess what? I'm a broken person. And it wasn't just like I didn't want to take the trash out. I have woundfully sinned against my wife. And for her to be able to be transformed by the gospel, to be able to receive my hurt and then forgive me, to love me, to treat me better than what I deserve, only happens because of a transformational relationship with Christ in our lives. Because when I'm hurt, when I'm wounded, I want to pull away. I don't want to press in. I don't want to reconcile. I want to just not feel it anymore. But there's something about this prayer that reminds me that God is pressing us forward. It's not just about that I got hurt. There's something that God is wanting to redeem in me. There's something that when my wife is not just hurt and I'm the sinner, God is wanting to redeem something that's broken, to sanctify this broken heart. Think through with us uh, the Mark 2 where the, the, the friends bring their paralyzed friend and they're like, this is his need, he can't walk. But through that suffering, what happens? Jesus says, no, what's easier, get up and walk or your sins are forgiven? What's the, mo- what's the priority here? It's not to make his earthly suffering go away, it's to make his eternal suffering go away. It's not about his legs working again, it's about him being reconciled in unity and that oneness that we just talked about with the presence of God. So often when we're feeling these sufferings, we ask, the Lord, take these sufferings away when we really need to be saying, like, Lord, what are you doing? What are you working in us? And the hard part about that means is you've got to be honest and you've got to be transparent about what's going on inside of you. Whether that is fear, whether that is hurt, loneliness, anger all of those things need to be known all of those things need to be brought to the surface so that the tangible truth of who God is his word his presence can meet you in that in church until we do that we are going to be missing it a lot i'm reminded of first john chapter five it talks about that we are children of God but satan is the ruler of this world means he's actively working. But as he's working, we're to be more reflective, more aligned in the purpose and character of who Christ is. And he does that by meeting us where we're at, by being relational, by being who he is, by breaking the bonds of sin and shame, by healing broken wounds. And as we become more like Christ, when we start understanding our sin and our suffering as part of this process of redemption, that suffering has a very big role in our life, then when we call upon the name of the Lord, we are able to run to it and find refuge the way that Proverbs 18 calls us to. Think about it this way. If you are going through suffering and you are actively rebelling against God, it's hard to find refuge in who he is. Okay? It's just the truth. But when we lay down our sin, when we confess it, when we own it for what it really is, when we lay down our brokenness, when we lay down our heart, and we name it for what it really is, all that junk that separates us, all the things we need forgiveness to have that unity, to have that joy can be found when we call upon the name of the Lord. And it's not about perfection. It says, it talked about the disciples in the first section where we're talking about, guys, they were not perfect. Peter has not yet denied Christ. He knows about it, but he hasn't done it. Like, they're not perfect, but Christ is. The Father is. Um, so we need to make sure that this is not just some head exercise, some some knowledge that we can obtain, that we can figure out how to fix all of our past, that we can put ourselves on a trajectory that will be perfect and sinless and all those different things. Um, if you remember uh, in the 90s, um, there was a song. Uh, we used to sing it all the time, Traded My Sorrows. It's based off of Second Corinthians chapter 4. So I'm pressed but not crushed, persecuted, not abandoned. Um, help me out. I knew you guys could do it, struck down but not destroyed, there you go, I impressed beyond everything, but his promise will endure, and his promise will endure, and it says his joy is going to be my strength, right, I sang that all the time growing up, I loved it, learned how to play it, but it was just head knowledge, head knowledge, Because I was thinking wrongly. I was like, if I just know more about Jesus, if I just figure out all the right things to do, then somehow all of my brokenness will get fixed because I will never repeat them again. And all there will be is just a lot of distance between my brokenness and where I am now. That is not redemption. That is not redemption. Because Christ has already dealt with my stuff. Christ has already dealt with my future stuff. And I don't have to put distance behind it. I don't have to minimize it. I don't have to pretend like it's not there to be freed from it. And that's when it became real is when I experienced that truth. And it became more than just head knowledge. It became true repentance, true ownership, true transparency in my life to allow the Word of God to be what it actually is, which is a blessing, not a burden. And I used to see it that way. And I used to be lonely and isolated Why has everybody else got to figure it out but me? But they were just as broken as I was. So we don't like suffering, but it plays a significant role. And if we don't understand God's purpose in it, and we don't see God's goodness in our suffering, then we're just going to be asking, how long, oh Lord? I can't do this. I'm out. And we will get consumed by it and crushed by it. And so the joy is not found when the suffering ends. The joy is not found when we're finally in eternity completely. There is joy and there is hope in that. But the whole prayer has been that you are being kept in the presence of God. If you're a believer, if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then you have the presence of God. The Holy Spirit is in you. You have the presence of God through his word. We don't have to wait. We don't have to wait. So we are being kept in the presence of God. So you may experience suffering, but you will hopefully experience the presence of God. This last section of the passage we're going to be looking at is 17 through 19. And it's this call. Let's just read it. John 17, 17 through 19 says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. Sanctified basically just means it's separated out. There is nothing like who God is. He is holy, blameless. Our words cannot fully obtain what that looks like. And so we are being called to be sanctified, to be separated out of. So we're not talking about the domain of darkness as some geographical thing where we're getting to move out of the neighborhood. But what we're talking about is that our, who we are, our being, our nature, our soul is being sanctified. It's being transformed. It's being renewed. That it's no longer looking like the local address we grew up in. It's starting to look like this kingdom address that God has given us. And all of this is happening because of this prayer, all of this is happening because this prayer for us to be sanctified in the truth. Your word is truth. I mean, that's what Jesus came, right? He is the word, He is the truth. He came so we may know it and not just know it, but own it, experience it, be changed by it, live our life by it, meditating on it. This was a concern that Jesus had for the disciples and for us. That's why it's in the prayer he knows we're going to be going through some really hard times so he's saying for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth it's not a little thing, that is a big thing it cannot just be head knowledge it has to be something we've experienced so God's word is so important to our sanctification process as I was thinking through I have a quote um There's a doctor that I was reading her book, and uh, she's talking about suffering, and talking about suffering in a way that we don't always deal with it well, right? And so let me just read it for you. So she's talking about suffering, suffering to the extent that we disguise our weakness and justify our sin. We will neither experience nor display God's might and majesty for a watching world, He gives rest to the weary, strength to the weak, healing to the broken, redemption to the sinner. But if we admit no weariness, no weakness, no brokenness, no sin, we say no thank you. We say no thank you to God's power, forgiveness, healing, and redemption. Church, we are called to reveal all of this. We are called to be honest about our weariness, about our brokenness, about our sin. All of those things, to be honest, not to minimize them, not to give them cute little names. It doesn't sound as bad as saying, I was angry at my wife. We say things like, I was frustrated, perturbed. I don't even know what that means. I've never been perturbed a day in my life. I've been angry, but until we're willing to own all of those things, and here's, I'm going to be honest with you, me being weak is not one that I like to admit, I don't want to admit that I'm weak, I don't want to be needy, I don't want to depend upon people, and sometimes that means I don't want to depend on God, I want to be helpers to other people, but I don't want to be a burden to someone else. But we're called. God says, Give me your burdens. Right? It's the whole of Scripture. Why? His yoke is easy, and His burden is light. And so it's admitting and owning our weakness. There's some goodness in that. Not some, there's a lot of goodness in that. Because if I'm not willing to admit that, then I can't be transformed by that. Not because God is unable, but it's because I'm not willing. So we end up saying no thank you to God's power, forgiveness, healing, and redemption. Church, please, 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 do not just come and show up and hear and say, man, that was good thought, that was good food, and then never be changed again. Discipleship is important, right? We are called to make disciples. Why? Not just for your good, because once you have been discipled, then you are called to make disciples. You are all called to be disciple-makers, those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus. You, who are all here, who have believed in faith in Jesus Christ, are here because someone discipled you. Because somebody poured into your life. And this is not me guilting you or trying to make you feel bad that you need to go start serving somewhere. But I'm just saying, like, God is doing something in you, not just for you, but something bigger, so that a watching world, so that the brokenness around us can know the love of Jesus and a tangible expression. How do they know that we are Christians? By our love. What is it that leads to repentance? It's the kindness of God. How do you get there if you're muting everything else? You can't. You're just getting by as best as you can. And so discipleship is important. Please don't Please don't think it's not powerful. Please don't think that being renewed through God's word and and Bible study with other believers doesn't have its place because it does. Because here's what ends up happening is we wait till the check engine light is on and the car is on fire, and then we go, okay, we need counseling. Counseling and discipleship are the same thing. Biblical counseling and discipleship are the same thing. One's just a little more intense than the other. We go to counseling because we expect to be transformed. Amen? We desire to be transformed. We desire for our relationships to be what? Renewed? To be reconciled? Do we not expect that when we are being discipled or discipling someone else? Are we just exchanging information to go, you got that one? I've got that one. What's the, does that B on the next answer? Like, that's not what discipleship is. That's not what biblical counseling was meant to be alone. It's just to be something to keep the check engine light from coming on or at least make it to the next destination. It's to be transformed, to be renewed. And that happens when we are kept by the presence of God when everything else is breaking down and hard around us. But God's word is so good to us. And so at the end of the day, we need to remember one more thing the end goal, the beauty of the gospel is not that one day we get to be in heaven, that there are streets of gold, that there's mansions, and that we won't experience suffering anymore. I mean, uh, don't get me wrong, I'm looking forward to that. The more and more I experience things, the more and more I look forward to that. But the true treasure of the gospel is we get Jesus. And we don't have to wait. We get Jesus now. We get his presence now. We will get it in a whole new level later. And yes, it is going to be great. And we are hoping and looking forward to suffering being no more. But until then, we get his presence and we are being sanctified through our suffering. Our faith is being strengthened. We are getting more endurance. And not just for ourselves, so that we may do this for others that they may know what we have learned and experienced, that their lives may be sanctified and changed. So the prize of the abundant life is found in the presence of Jesus. If you're willing to trade anything else and Jesus isn't there, you've missed it. It's the presence of Jesus that you can experience and know, even in whatever suffering you're going through right now. Because it's for a purpose, it's not for nothing. So we're going to get ready to to land, to wrap up, and the worship team's going to be coming out, but I have a few questions for you to start thinking through. Are you a believer who stands on the truth of God's word, united with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you know God's word, not just in head knowledge, but in an experiential, tangible, life-changing way? Not by yourself, but in unity and community. Do you believe you are being sanctified, set apart for Christ? God's word says you are, but do you know, do you see it? Are you seeking that? Do you see your sanctification as just growing in knowledge of Christ or being changed from within by knowing and being met with the gospel? If we're thinking about the outward changing the inward, you've missed it so if I act right I am right it's I am now right because of who Jesus is therefore the fruit of the spirit may start to take root and flourish and the last one is in what area of your life do you need to experience the presence of God the rest of God and I'm talking about rest as in peace and being kept by him because right now maybe Satan's really got you going God's not here or God's a liar, or God's not able. If that's where you're at, please speak. Please be known. Please be seen. I'm advocating for you. There's going to be elders down in the commons area that have got lanyards on. We're going to have prayer partners up front. There's going to be places and opportunity for you to be seen and be known and be led into the presence of God. If that's where you're at, please don't leave today without knowing and uh, being able to experience that opportunity. So what we're going to do now is we're going to pray. And the really cool thing is is after we pray, we get to experience a, a baptism today. Amen? Let's go before the Lord. Father, we come before you. And God, we get to be in your presence right now. And Lord, I don't know the burdens or the hurt or the suffering that have been experienced in this room. But Lord, it is not far-fetched to understand it's been devastating. It's been impactful. It has filtered and changed the way we see life each other and including you. And I pray, Lord, that your prayer would just be made real and manifest in our life today that we would be sanctified, that we'd be drawn out, and that the suffering that we're experiencing would be part of that sanctification. Not just because the world around us is broken and needs it, but we need it as well. Father, use us for your glory. Father, use us to spread your gospel across this community and world so that they may know and taste and see that you are good. So, Lord, we love you. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.